Hey everybody, welcome to the happy month of May. And with that comes the release of the I'll Be Gone in the Dark teaser from HBO, which is the six-part miniseries that they've been working on since, oh, I feel like it's been for two years, about just about two years. I don't know how when it got optioned, but I know it's been a while because we have seen the HBO team around quite a bit over the um, different afternoons after hearings over the years. I was going to say, gosh, over the weeks and months and years, HBO has been around and they have they have film of me doing some weird things. So that that's happening. They they first showed up, I think, at the book signing event, which was in June of 2018. I believe, or May, maybe it's yeah, June, June of 2018. Um, they showed up there and they got tape or video or film. And then they've been in court a lot. They've been to the um, garden parties that we've had with the survivors have had after court sometimes. They've been around. And then they did extensive interviews with a lot of folks, a lot of um, a lot of folks. I don't even know. I, law enforcement, we're, we're not allowed to talk about our interviews because that's the one thing they asked, which seems fair because they're trying to, they call it embargo the information until the miniseries is out. And you want to do that when you're an entity because you want to manage how that messaging happens and how the word gets out. So that's that none of that surprises me. I, I've been excited about it. I have understood its entertainment, but I gotta say that when the teaser dropped on Sunday, and let me let me even predate that. Um, I know one of the team from HBO tried to call me on Friday, but I wasn't available, so I didn't answer the phone. But I saw her name come up on my phone, and I she didn't. I don't know if she left a message or not. I think she just asked me to give her a call back. She's been great and has kept us informed. She called, I believe, anyone who participated in the interviews on on Friday and Saturday. She partic- She called everybody and said, "We're going to start promoting." So we did know that the promotions were going to start, which is fine. We expected that. We, did, we didn't expect it now. We didn't know when to expect it, but we expected they would be promoting. So when the uh, teaser dropped on Sunday, w- that wasn't a surprise. That's super clear. To, I just want to be really clear about that. That was not a surprise. What was a surprise is how it, the story is told in the one-minute trailer. So again, let's be clear, it's a one minute, they call it a teaser, but it's a one minute teaser. It absolutely features Michelle and um, then a couple other known faces, including Paul Holes, um, things moving through in that way. And it talks about Michelle. And that's the part that I think caught me and some others off guard because we because because we're humans and we were and we're um, self centered and we think my God, we told you everything and that was exhausting and it was hard and God I was vulnerable with you and what this is about Michelle I think that's kind of how it went in our heads just that that scenario right there like wow so it was really a surprise as I think many folks that listen to this podcast know that the Smith family wasn't consulted at all for the book. So I wrote up a blog on June 9th, 2018, after the Barnes and Noble event, which was pretty awesome. Patton and Paul Haynes and Billy Jensen came up and they um, were at the Barnes and Noble in Citrus Heights. It was packed. It was awesome. I mean, the, the energy 
was fantastic. And the people I met there were amazing and so much kindness. This is when you really started to understand uh, the impact that the East Area Rapist had on Sacramento and especially that area. I mean, it was the right store to be in because it was more mostly up in that neck of the woods when you look at the broader Sacramento area. And so people came, they came out early and were in a line. And because I was privileged as a victim, I got to come and go and didn't have to stand in the line. I had a reserved seat. So I was able to actually go talk to people. I know, imagine that, me talking to people. But I I really appreciated it. I was um, blown away at how much people cared and were interested and the thing and the thing that really blew me away is how many people had been touched by the crimes either terrorized in their own homes because they knew that there was a bad guy out there who could come in you know and some people were terrorized in their own homes and the bad guy got them and that it changed everything because this was set the 70s was still about leaving your doors unlocked and everything and that changed it all in fact in sacramento my poor child. Even now, if she leaves a window open at night, I lose it. I'm like, no, no, East Area Rapist. That's all I say to her. Like, no, East Area Rapist is out there. When, of course, he's in jail. But the point is, don't leave windows open. In Sacramento, that's rough in the summer. If you don't leave windows open, that's when the night cools down and the Delta breeze comes in and it's and the air smells so good. And yet, anybody with this history, we don't do it. We do not leave our windows open. So I had written up in that original blog post back then in 2018 what my issues were with um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And really, I, I had I called it my thoughts because I don't know that they're issues, but um, they were kind of my sticking points. And Lord knows the HBO team has read this. They remind me all the time that I have opinions, which is true. But I was first disappointed because, of course, our family wasn't consulted at all for the book. I didn't even know about the book. I didn't know about Michelle McNamara. She didn't exist to me. I knew nothing. And so all of a sudden, here comes this book. I forget. I, I think I heard about it on Conan O'Brien, of all things, when Patton went on soon after Michelle's death. I didn't know she I didn't know a thing about her. And I thought that was really weird because here's this tiny little chapter. I think we have five pages or something in this book. And um, I don't even know what they built it on because, again, they didn't contact our family. The one thing that they did do was talk to a Ventura reporter, probably one of the few reporters I really don't care for um, at all. In fact, I've told the Ventura Star Press I won't be associated with her on anything, so don't even send her my way. But they made a mistake at, at, in pointing people to her set of articles. And so it, um, it really got to me. That part really got to me. And so that was the first thing. Second thing is that the information they shared about Janelle Cruz was unnecessary. So you, if you've read the book, you know it's pretty uneven. There are some things where Michelle was just freaking focused on it. Like she and Debbie Domingo had incredible rapport. Debbie had told me about how great, like this was later after I knew about the book and everything and I hadn't even met Debbie yet, but she had told me how great they had gotten on. They talked so much and you can tell because the story part, the part around the um, Debbie's mom, mom and Greg Sanchez are so about Sherry and Greg were, is so much more detailed. I mean, it actually, it almost feels like Michelle really related to Debbie, which is great have at it. That's what I would expect from somebody writing a book about something that you really do understand it and you can empathize and you can 
really have compassion for what happened. And I think that comes through in the Domingo chapter. But in the case of Janelle, the family is really disappointed with what was written and feels a lot like there was victim shaming going on. And, and again, I know that wasn't Michelle's intent. But the problem with when you're doing anything, any kind of writing about someone who's been a victim is you really got to make sure you don't re-victimize those people. And in that same vein, you really should double and triple check your facts. So if you have something that seems gossipy or um, shady, you should at least make sure you have a few sources that can confirm that. Because it wasn't. I don't think it was necessary to say things about Janelle's family and to say things about Janelle that weren't which Janelle's family feels are absolutely positively not true. You could have edited that stuff out. Uh, I'm on the record for hating the name Golden State Killer. It's just too nice of a name. And we have a lot of things in California that are awesome that have Golden State in them, including the Golden State Warriors. And to hook that name onto this piece of garbage just pisses me off. He just needed the small dick killer or the micro penis rapist or something like that, but not Golden State Killer. I, I just, and I'm really bummed that it was Michelle that named him because so many people in law, law enforcement had worked on this so hard. And anyway, eh, that's water under the bridge, right, Jen? Get over it. And then um, I had a real issue with the men wrapping up the book because I think that they missed some things that women would catch. And yep, you can call me sexist. But when it comes to sex, uh, sexual assault and crimes against women, you just need to keep a woman involved in the storytelling. And I do get over it when men are telling our story. So I'm really happy that Liz Garbus is doing this film, the, the miniseries. She has quite a stellar reputation. And I know I talked to her and team, not her, I talked to her team about it repeatedly about, look, this man hated women. I know men were also harmed, but this man hated, hated, hated women. And we need to make sure that this is told from a woman's point of view. So I believe that actually will, will happen. And then I think the last thing that any of us who've been involved with this case get kind of um, pointed about is that the book didn't solve the case. It just didn't. And already, you know, hearing the passion and the teaser and the breathiness and the, you know, Michelle worked hard and she, she did this and she did that. Yeah, no, sorry. I mean, she became obsessed with the case. Lots of people are obsessed with the case, but a lot of police officers, law enforcement people, detectives, and even some of the crowd worked really hard on solving this case and did real, real police work. And I'll find out if Michelle did some police work and I don't begrudge her that at all, but she was obsessed that's a little different than really pursuing um, solving a crime. And we were going to solve this crime. The way it got solved didn't have anything to do with the book. What the book did do, which is pretty amazing, is that it absolutely got visibility on this case because we just didn't have a lot. We had Unmasking a Killer came out just before the book was released, and that was a really very good series. And um, and then the book, this book came out and it was the first time someone had tried to mm, put together the story in a way that was uh, in a book form. The other books that have been written about this are really not like that. They, they described the cases and they described what happened, but they didn't really talk 
more about the people. So I, I appreciate her for that and I appreciate her interest. I'm also really sorry that it ended up with her dying as a result of this obsession because he just didn't deserve one more victim. So as I took a look at the teaser, and it's so funny because it came out on Sunday and I tweeted something and didn't realize that Liz Garbus had been included on the tweet. So then she replied to me at which point I had, but oh, hi, Liz. Oh, yes, it's Jen Carroll, the one with the big mouth talking. A little bit embarrassing. I didn't say anything bad, thank God. But um, you forget who's all out there watching. Um, but she she has reassured Chris Pedretti, who I've um, interviewed for this show. Chris Pedretti, victim number 10, wrote a beautiful tweet. And um, I, happened to, I happened to retweet it. Let me just pull it up here because it was so good. That she, what Chris said is that um, I think it's important. This was to Patton, HBO, and I think uh, the guys, Billy and Paul. I think it's important to note that this is not just entertainment. The victims in this series are not actors. They are people who have opened up and exposed their vulnerability about a very horrific experience by this monster. So Liz saw this tweet from Chris, which was great, and said, Thank you, Chris. And the trauma in the victim survivors was front and center for Michelle, as it is for those of us who created the series. That was really, really awesome. And that's, that's what, honestly, that is what we experienced with the HBO team. So even though the teaser caught me off guard, and even though the teaser looks like, oh, this is just going to be six episodes about Michelle, I don't think that's the case. I do know that this is in one minute, you have got to sell your series. You have got to generate interest and excitement. You've got to motivate people to watch. I mean, they do have a, a financial responsibility to the studio to get eyeballs, to get people to subscribe to HBO, all of that. So that's that I understand. I mean, I'm in marketing for God's sake. And, and Liz has an outstanding reputation. That's really great. It's just, it was just that it was just a little bit not about us. So um, I think if we'd had our expectations set over the weekend that we were going to see a trailer that really did focus on Michelle, that would have helped, number one. And then when you go in and read their press release, which is um, does explain more, and I didn't see this Yesterday, I saw it, uh, actually, Chris Pedretti said it to me today, but they actually, Warner put out a six-part, um, they put out a press release about the six-part documentary, and here, let me just share some of it with you, because this helps you understand really what what the bigger um, context is, what is what a one-minute trailer can't do. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, a six-part documentary series debuting Sunday, June 28th from 10 to 11 p.m., so you got that Sunday, June 28th, 10 to 11 p.m. That's going to make it a little late for a watching party, but okay. With episodes airing subsequent Sundays at the same time, is based on the book of the same name and explores writer Michelle McNamara's investigation into the dark world of a violent predator she dubbed the Golden State Killer. The series is directed by Academy Award nominee and Emmy-winning director Liz Garbus and produced by Story Syndicate. I'll Be Gone in the Dark will also be available on HBO On Demand, HBO Now, HBO Go, and partner streaming platforms. And here, now we'll get into the meat. Terrorizing California in the 1970s and 80s, the Golden State Killer is responsible for 50 home invasion rapes and 12 murders. This series gives voice to the survivors and their families. Okay, that's very cool. Documenting an era when sex crimes were often dismissed or hidden in shame. 
Very, very spot on. Thank you for that sentence. A timely inquiry into our macabre preoccupation with true crime and a cautionary tale of the dangerous lore of addiction. The series is a riveting meditation on obsession and loss, chronicling the unrelenting path of a mysterious killer and the fierce determination of one woman to bring the case to light. So I got to say, I also really like that because it does name this weird Venn diagram of all of us who are, who are fascinated by true crime. And let's face it, those of us who are, it is in some ways entertainment. And then this idea of addiction, which is where Michelle really dug in, like she just became addicted to this case, which even for me who lives with it, I I can't even imagine because even living with it, it's too much. Sometimes I just am like, make it all stop, which hopefully it will once we get a conviction. But yeah, make it all stop. Here we go. So then she, they explain, Michelle McNamara lived a quiet life as a writer, mother, and wife, preferring to stay on the periphery of the Hollywood world of her comedian husband, Pat Oswalt. But every night as her family slept, she indulged her obsession with unsolved cases, delving into the world of online chat rooms and crime blogs. She became immersed in the graphic details of the Golden State Killer case, along the way connecting with like-minded sleuths, trading facts, photos, and leads. Okay, how is this not like half of the people on the boards, right? Half of the people, I I don't get on the boards and you all know I left Reddit, but how does this not the same? I mean, they're all, that's that we know that's an archetype, right? Of the people who are obsessed about certain cases. McNamara's blog about unsolved crimes, True Crime Diaries, chronicled her obsession and led to a lengthy article about the case for LA Magazine, which resulted in her her landing a major book deal. Committed to solving the case, the investigative research consumed her, and she became more and more plagued by dark thoughts and a growing sense of angst. The demands of balancing her self-described addiction to her work with her family life pulled McNamara in competing directions, and she became increasingly reliant upon prescription drugs to manage her mounting anxiety. After a string of sleepless nights and harrowing nightmares, McNamara tragically died of an accidental overdose in her sleep with her manuscript unfinished. After her death, Oswald enlisted his wife's fellow sleuths, Paul Haynes and Billy Jensen, to help finish and publish the book, which received rave reviews and went on to become a 2018 New York Times bestseller. So there you go. It goes on and on. Um, it says the series is also a... a, a, a Oh, 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 sorry. Let me just finish. I'll be gone in the dark because they do talk a little bit more about the point of view of the series. I'll be gone in the dark is a detective story told in McNamara's own world words through exclusive original recordings and excerpts from her book read by actor Amy Ryan. The series draws from extensive archival footage and police files, as well as, you know, that means we're going to see some of that bad 1970s film and police files, as well as exclusive new interviews with detectives, survivors, and family members of the killer to weave together. Hmm. Family members of the killer. Listen to that. To weave together a picture. I got I don't know what that is, by the way, guys. Mm-mm, they just leaked something big there. To weave together a picture of complex and flawed investigation. <clears throat> it is a frightening document of an era when victims were too often ashamed to speak out and sexual crime was minimized in the press and the courtroom. Echoing McNamara's writing, the series gives voice to the victims and their experiences speak to the far-reaching human cost of the decades-old case. 
The series is also a journey into the soul of McNamara, a tenacious journalist and citizen detective whose unrelenting commitment to investigating crimes earned her the respect of law enforcement and whose articles and books earned high praise from critics. Her evocative writing reflects deep themes of loss, anxiety, the lure of addiction, the love that binds us, and the dangerous secrets of our daily lives. Uh, okay. What do you guys think about that? That true? I didn't get that from the book, but I'm so biased, so I cannot be the right person to talk about that. McNamara's years of relentless determination for justice for the victims helped keep the case alive and in the public eye. Ten years after she began working on the case and just two months after her book was published, Oswald and several of McNamara's fellow sleuths were gathered for a reading from McNamara's book in her hometown of Chicago. Just hours later, the Sacramento Sheriff's Office arrested 72-year-old former police officer, we all know his name, Joseph James D'Angelo, identifying him through DNA evidence as the notorious Golden State Killer. DNA guilty. Trademark. Copyright. That's mine. McNamara's unwavering resolve, the survivors' fortitude to tell their stories, and the decades-long dedication of local investigators result in a shattering portrait of a fear-gripped community and the eventual path to justice. Okay, there you go. Then it goes blah, 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 all the other stuff about about the book and everything. So there, that's it. Um, very interesting. And so I think that the, the press release makes me feel a lot better because it hits now on a few more points that was what we thought was going on and what we experienced. So it's just the beginning. It's just now, you know, coming out. I'm in t- I intend to be fully supportive. I think it's, I think anything that tells the story helps other victims. I absolutely believe that. I think anything that shines light for, for many of the victims this is the first time they really spoke honestly, on camera about what happened to them, that is huge. I mean, we've watched someone like Chris Pedretti who was so quiet at the beginning and just so generous with her home. But now, I mean, she did an interview. She's doing interviews. She talked with Paige St. John for Man in the Window. People are changing and growing and it's been for the better. And I'm really jazzed about that. I just was really surprised when the teaser came out. So, so where we are now, we're going to, we're going to, keep our mouths shut, meaning me, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to promote this uh, special, hoping that it's really going to be great because I, my friends are in it and the people who worked hard to solve the crime are in it. And it has an interesting spin in that the person who was obsessed with our case, I'm so upset that she died, but um, she cared about it a lot. And that's important because a lot of you guys have cared about this case a lot. A lot of you. I, it's never, it still does never fails to amaze me how many folks care about this case. And it's, it's really important and it's really meaningful for someone who's living it and sometimes is so sick of it. It's really awesome how much you guys are supportive. So I wanted to just do a quick update about this because this is going to be a big deal when it starts in, in June. And at least it's something that's going to hold us over until this damn court dates come back. So I think um, we figured out this is dropping in June and it'll be done just about the time D'Angelo's due back in court court, not just a hearing, but the real uh, preliminary hearing, which is the mini trial, which is supposed to be now mid-August. I think it's August, it's either August 14th or August 17th, but that's what we're heading forward. So this will be, this will start in June 28th. And if you take six, that's about six weeks. It takes us right up to court couldn't have been more well-timed. They, I don't even think they knew the date of court yet. So somebody just very got, got very lucky there. 
Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Hey, and if you haven't given me a rating, I'd love it. Um, there are some ratings on the Apple Pod page, and uh, and good ratings always help with podcasts. So if you have a good rating, I really love it. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again next time.